Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome to All Stats, Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds Fast cast their combined eye over goings-on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Thomas Ostercundell, the two-month rotation of personnel of the podcast. I'm begging Daniel, let All Stats, Aren't We, lead by example. And I'm joined today by the Archie Gray of the podcast. Honestly, when will we give this guy a rest? It's Martin Riley. Martin, how are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, not not long ago, I finished eating my tea, which was um, pizza and garlic bread. Just something quick I could shove in the oven. Just didn't have too long before we were doing this. And I was a bit late to get us going. But yeah, I'm good. How about you, mate? Yeah, obviously it's, it's been a while since I've been on. Um, I think about seven weeks, thinking of the Huddersfield preview. Uh, yeah, no, not too bad. I've had, I've had spag ball. I'm always oh, going to come back from a classic. That's, that's another um, one for the... Um, but yeah, after... <laughs> yeah, another one for for the preview for the season preview. Um, yeah, no, I've 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 been quite busy. Uh, I've just come back off a week off holiday in in Madeira, and that was great. So yeah, no, I'm doing quite well. Good stuff. Good good, good to have you. But good yeah, to have so, you back um, after a, a while out. Yeah, it's good to get some 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 yeah, some rest. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good to be able to get. Yeah, really good to be able to come back on as well. Um, but yeah, I guess like brief news. Furpo's back in training last week, so it brings in a natural left back option. Um, and I'm sure that in the preview, you'll discuss that for uh, whoever's on the preview. I can't remember. But yeah, the preview for the Ipswich game, I'm sure that'll be discussed as possible options for the starting lineup so that maybe we can actually have Jed Spencer right back for once. So yeah, yeah, we're here to discuss the 1-0 draw with Coventry City at Ellen Road on Saturday. Sorry that it's a little bit late. We can blame Leeds United for that, for not releasing the uh, the, the full match replay. So <laughs> we plan to record this Sunday night and we're recording Monday night, but... Here we are, and we'll still bring you something good. So I'll start with a quick game summary. Leeds approached the game with their usual 4-2-3-1 formation, with Coventry opting for a 4-1-4-1 formation, much to the surprise given that they had six defenders on the pitch. Leeds dominated the majority of possession in the first half, with Coventry sitting deeper and absorbing pressure, but despite the dominance in possession, Leeds were unable to create any clear-cut chances. The second half continued much the same way for the opening phase, however in the 58th minute, Jorginho Rutter and Somerville combined to pick up on Coventry's defence, with Georgie playing through Cry, going on goal and slowing past the keeper to make it 1-0. 
Leeds continue to hold the majority of possession. However, in the 6-6 minute, Coventry City hit us on the counter thanks to a marauding run from centre-back Bobby Thomas, which is an arc back to some days a few seasons ago. He passed it wide and then continued his run, and the cross in the box from Sukiyama uh, was then met by Thomas, who headed it past Melier to bring the score to 1-1. Leeds again continued the theme of having more possession and created a number of chances, including one more big chance late in the game, which Dan James scooped wide of the post. However, they weren't able to capitalise, and the game ended 1-1. So, we'll start with the interrogation. So let's get straight into that first half. Uh, The first half, we only created 0.24 XG from six shots, making the XG per shot a very measly 0.04. Was this down to us doing badly, or commentary defending well, do you think, Martin? I I went for it over this a few times, and I kept slowing down different attacking scenarios and just seeing what what we're doing, what other options we could have had when we were attacking. And I think largely it was Coventry making it difficult for us. Um, I think they were dropping dropping their, their their wingers quite deep. And at the times it was almost a back six which which they was bringing in. And I counted at one point there was nine defenders in the box on one of our attacks. That was in the first half. So that just tells you how much that they were packing the box. Um, so, uh, just within the opening, so I think this, this was about 20 minutes in, I caught this, which is just insane that early in the game to have nine players in the box. So I'd, I think it was mainly Coventry doing well with looking their box and making things difficult for us. And I think we did struggle to break that down. But a lot of teams do struggle to break it, break those, those sort of tactics down because even with, with us having four men attacking the box, it was still difficult because they, they had more men around there and it was just a matter of trying to find little moments to try to attack and I think Georgie did, did his best to try to un- unpick that lock I think he, he tried to do maybe a bit too much by himself in the first half Was but he, but he did also create the only, only real opportunities of that half really so it was difficult and we were trying to do, to do things in wider areas a lot I felt and there was often like a, a gap in between the the centre of the box and it's just in front of the box. There was, wasn't often players in, in, in and around that area. You was, I've noticed Perot was going to, to the far post runs quite often and Georgie was uh, near post, but there wasn't anyone really attacking the centre, centre of the box, which is where the, the best place to attack really. And we just didn't really get people in those areas enough, in, especially in the first half. But like I've already said, we were making that area difficult for us to play in, so maybe that's why we were looking to get it to wider areas and have some quick combinations. So, yeah, I think largely it's, it, it, it was Coventry, but it was a little bit on our side as well, not making the most of our chances. I'm not sure if you saw, saw any end different, differently to that. Yeah, I think like a lot of credit has to go to Coventry with the way that they managed to keep themselves disciplined. And within that first three minutes, they'd been pulled up for three fouls where it was just those little kind of pullbacks of stopping our attacks, um, which because if you make three three of those tackles in the first three minutes, you kind of expect maybe the ref to pick up on that and maybe book a yellow card and say, all right, come on, this can't carry on for the rest of the game. And I'm not saying that this is um, this is any criticism on the ref, obviously, like regarding it, but Coventry then obviously had an idea of what the, how their game plan can play out. Um, so they were able to slow it up and break it down. And I think a lot of their, a lot of our attacks fell down in that first half due to some very good kind of last-ditch one-man defending or due to one player on our team just making a bad touch. Um, that sort of thing like that happened a few times with Georgie. Um, you, you go back, we go back to um, 
that Rutter chance where he kind of, it kind of looks like he's completely missed it, but really I think Kitchen's got got toe to the ball across from Dan James, and that makes total difference. And it looks like Rutter's done something terrible, but really it's just really good defending. Um, and like you said, we were doing a lot in wide areas. And the idea with that when you were playing against like a packed defence is what we saw a lot of from what we were trying to do was get it wide, get it to the byline, cut back fast and hard. And that's because when you've got a packed area, you're hoping that there isn't a clean clearance when you do that. And you can cause that bit of, and I know that bit of chaos that Marsh wanted and stuff. But sometimes against those sort of teams that you're playing against with, with a low block, that's maybe what you're looking at trying to do. That That's how I interpreted that first half anyway. Um, and I think... I know we're going to get on to the second half, but when we compare the goal, there's a moment where in the first half where Rutted has his back to goal, he goes to try to do a touch on the turn. It's a bad touch. It goes to a defender straight away and like, they clear it. He does the exact same thing for the goal, gets the turn, and then Crescencio's just coming down around the back of the defender, and it works perfectly fine. And I think that that's probably what we were trying to do to break down that low block a lot. It was just in the first half, there was a lot of, a lot of weak touches. Because I think as well, the defenders were probably really tight and so it just took the second half for Ruter to get that yard of space so that he could get that turn good as well. Um, so yeah, as, as I alluded to there, pretty much the same question, but for the second half. We we did better in the second half and created 1.16 XG, this time from 15 shots. So we increased our XG per shot from 0.04 to 0.07, and we had two big chances in that group as well. Obviously, the one which we scored from that we've, I've just alluded to. So was this down to Coventry defending badly or did we find a way in the way we attacked to do better, do you think? I don't think Coventry were defending it any any differently or worse in the second half. But I think our attackers got used to the way they're defending the box and how tight they were keeping to certain players and which way to move and how to turn them. Especially Georgia, he did a lot better in the second half at, at turning his man. And he was trying it like like you mentioned in the last question. He was trying that move where he he just quickly turns with the ball. And the first half, he, he only, I think he maybe got it off once, but I think in the second half he got it off about four or five times where he just quickly turns and then played the ball forward or drives forward with, with the ball. And I think that that was a big part of it was Georgie finding those moments to turn whichever player what was marking him. I think it was maybe in Sheaf who was at him quite often. And sometimes one of their centre backs. So yeah, the, I think that the big thing was that, that that sort of interplay between Georgie and Somerville. They were just very good at finding each other in that half, and most of the chances came through one of those two, either creating for them or creating for each other. And I, I believe this was the most chances that a, a pairing was made um, since Ops had began collecting data. I think uh, Johnny Cooper put out a tweet about it that um, they created seven chances for each other in one match, which is just mad. <laughs> so so they, they created a lot of stuff for each other, and that it, it, because they'd worked out the best way to attack the defence of what Coventry were doing and how they were looking to defend each of those individuals. So, but yeah, I think it's mainly individuals making better decisions and just knowing what to do than anything else. Yeah, I think, as you've said there, Better decisions was was a key thing. Um, I think we saw a couple of times as well in the first half. Uh, Peru maybe not make the best decision with which pass to pick. Uh, maybe take a, a second too long, and then you know things things that don't get countered when you talk about XG and, and big chances is 
things like Dan James's decision to go down a bit too easy when he had that ball over the top from Ampadu. Um, you know, and that that is a big goal scoring opportunity, really, when you think about it. But he's, I think, what he's actually done is, I think the ball's actually held up a little in the bounce, and he's overran it, so he's then gone down. I think that's kind of what's happened um, because he is side by side with the ball when he goes down as well, um, and I don't think he's got that ability to bring that back in at that pace. Uh, he's sometimes a bit too fast for his for his own good. Um, but yeah, we've we've talked about our attacking now, and so let's let's talk about Coventry. They created 0.5 xG in this game. Two half of that was was their goal, their header. Um, and so do you think that that's due to our out of possession game and the way that we set up our rest defence, our press, or is it down to the way that Coventry had set up with how they wanted to attack? I think it was a larger down to us. I think. Our counter press was very much on point in this game. And um, whenever we did turn over the ball, we were quite quick to put pressure on any of the players who could look to receive it. And Coventry were forced to go long quite often, especially in the first half. And they, they weren't really able to get anything from those long, long balls other than I think a couple of really, really small chances. Uh, there was one shot early, early on, which Melier saved and another one I think was just put wide. But yeah, I think largely we did a good job of. Of handling them when the ball did turn over, and we had a relatively good job of our rest defence as well. And um, we made sure that we had players back to cover those moments when we did turn over the ball, and they got past our press. And then in in moments where we where they were setting the ball, and they managed to maybe get it past our front line threats, we would did a good job of holding our mid block and not allowing space them in in areas which they could hurt us because they are a good good side at moving the ball around. And Sanders did well in winning most of their individual battles, which always helps. I think there's maybe one time where Spence was beat, beaten by Amoto on that side. So, yeah, that, I think other than that one moment, I don't think there's many other duels missed in this game. And I think we did, did a good job overall of handling Coventry, and it shows because they didn't create a lot outside the goal. Um, not 0.25 XG for the rest of the game. And, yeah, so... Yeah. I think like the only chances that I remember were from outside the box sort of chances that we restricted them to. Um, I think with their goal, uh, there's been a bit of talk of Spence being lazy and dangling a leg and not not being inactive. And I think I don't think it's laziness. I think it's um, complacency of that he didn't think it was that much danger. He didn't think he had to do much. Um, and I'm hoping that that's just him being rusty. It's only his second game back since injury. Um, and yeah, I think it's just more him. He, he, he just wasn't alert. He kind of, he got back, he turned around and the cross was about to go in and he could have put pressure on that cross a bit better, basically. And I think he just kind of maybe thought, I, I don't I don't need to, it won't be a danger, it won't be an issue um, because we've defended Coventry well, really well already. So um, I think it was a bit more, I think it was complacent really for me from that. But otherwise, I think the rest defence works. Like like you said, we, we hold them out. Um, Rodon did a great recovery um, tracking back and got in front of Sims, I think it was at one point in the second half. Uh, and what what we do what we do really well is when so a player like Sims wants to um, push back our defensive line, obviously playing as quite a big guy and hold the ball up. We made sure that when he held the ball up, he was holding it up out wide, or we were put, making sure that he could only run into the channels out wide. So like that that moment when Strauch followed him down the down the byline and uh, Sims has to hold the ball up, he holds it up really well. Don't get me wrong, like he does a great chant, a great job of of that role, but it's not in a dangerous position because then when you've got the ball, when he gets the ball back to one of the wingers for Coventry, they've got no one in the box, which is the reason probably why uh, Spence didn't think much of it because I think it's Sims who takes it out wide and gives it 
to uh, to the winger who crosses it. But obviously, by that point, you've got Bobby Thomas who's walked into the box, and you've got a big aerial threat there. Um, yeah, so I, th- I do think that our rest defence isn't that bad. Uh, it's not. I think well, obviously we don't concede that many chances really from XG value wise either. Um, and yeah, I think we limited them due to us rather than rather than them. Um, but with that way of discussing how Coventry went about the game, and um, we saw it in the game against Sunderland as well. So are we seeing a consistent theme now in how to frustrate Leeds over those last two games? And do we think it's likely that Ipswich will look to do the same in the next game? Bit of a preview. Yeah, I just uh, I, I like this question because obviously we know we're not really going to talk about Ipswich too much, but it's worth talking about these sort of things because it is has been a bit of a theme over the past few games. Is teams who are realizing that we struggle when we have we have to try to break through a lot of defenders, which is natural. A lot a lot of teams do struggle with that with that, especially when you're like primed to attack in transition like we are and we are so effective at tackling in transition so it is only natural that teams have worked that out and think hang on we can't give these guys space that, that we're allowing them we, we need to sit back and make things harder for them and i think we will see more and more teams do it as the season goes on because it's, it wasn't normally Sunderland's tactic to sit deeper than as what, what they did in the second half of that game and I think the same can be said for Coventry. They don't, don't normally sit as deep as what they did in this game. Normally, it's a bit more of a mid-block, whereas this time it started off as a mid-block, but very quickly went into a low block. They started with yeah. six defenders as well. Exactly. So it was like sort of one of those things. And I think um, the caveat on the Sunderland uh, game is probably, you know, they had a, they had an interim caretaker manager. So thing he could have just decided that he was going to do things differently you can maybe kind of get the message across that you're going to do things differently just because you are the caretaker manager you don't have to stick to what Mowbray had had kind of um built into that into that squad um yeah i think it's obvious that it frustrates us but it's i think like we said at the start it's going to frustrate every team that you come up against who who do this and personally i don't see ipswich trying to do that because i don't know if they're actually good at that um i'd I'd be worried if I was an Ipswich fan if I thought that that's what uh, my team were going to do, change up completely from the blueprint that's got them second and 10 points ahead of their expected points. Yeah, I, <laughs> so I can't I see that so. either. It doesn't seem to me like a tactic which we'll see teams like Ipswich who have a very distinctive way of playing and they, and when, when we went to their ground earlier in the season, they were gave the, the, probably the toughest game that we've had, even though we won. <laughs> Definitely the t- toughest... Maybe the Norwich game will be the other one, which was a bit tougher, having to come from two goals down. But yeah, they're a very, very good side, and I don't think they'll want to do that low block. But I do think it is likely that we do see other teams who maybe go from a block down to a low block, like like we've seen from Coventry, to sit a bit deeper and put a few more defenders on the pitch to try to frustrate us. That is something I could see as a reality as the season goes on for teams who maybe left a bit too much space in the in the first game of the season, so they'll look to tweak things and try to make things harder for us to find space. Before we continue with the interrogation, it's time for an ad break. But before that happens, just want to have a quick chat about our Patreon. Don't worry, patrons, you don't have to listen to this part. Our patrons get access for as little as $1.99 per month, which gives you ad-free podcasts, and if you want to pay a little bit more, you get other benefits, including early access to our preview pods, such as this one, analysis articles, videos and bonus podcasts, as well as access to our Discord server. If you want to find out more about our Patreon, please visit Martin. Patreon.com forward slash ASLW 
That's it. Perfect. Thank you very much. And now let's get back to the analysis. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. So we had a question from a member of our parish, Tom Alderson. He wanted to know, and quite simply wants to know, do we need to talk about Daniel Farker? Is there something to say? I can understand some some of the frustrations that are going around and at the moment with how I think the common thing which people are saying is how strong our squad is and that we should be doing better than what we are, which I can understand that reasoning. We do have probably the strongest squad pound for pound in the league. Maybe Leicester could be just neck to neck with us on, on that. So it's very close between us and Leicester. However, as the Championship has told us that many times, it's not a league which well, I always do to the team with the strongest squad. In the years that Bielsa was with us, we didn't have the strongest squad and we dominated the league both, both years. We easily have gone up in the first year if a few games didn't run a bit differently. And then I've seen that in the second year, we, we did dominate it and finished 11 points clear, was it, or 10 points? Something like that. Yeah, so I think there is still plenty of time for the season to end up with us finishing the second. Um, we're only at the halfway point of the season now. Still plenty of time for things to go wrong. And so at the moment, I'm not at the point where I'm even questioning Sark remotely. I'm happy with the way things are going. If you look at how many wins we had prior to the last two results, that was a lot in a row. And what's doing at the moment is we've got Leicester and we've got Ipswich, who are both having ridiculously good opening to their seasons. Com- combined with us having a slow start to our season because of how much work we had to do in the summer. And that's something which I think is, has been forgotten about, uh, like how much work had to go- happen in the summer. The amount of players who left, the amount of players who came in, it was a lot of work. And I'm sure that what well, I think Fark mentioned it quite often <laughs> when it, when he was first getting. Yeah, he's definitely mentioned that start to the season quite often. And I, I've tried to find it, but I couldn't, um, I didn't spend enough time looking. I'm certain that there was a interview with Farker during preseason where he spoke about that um, a lot of the work that they had done was regarding uh, build up from the back and um, defensive work of structure and how he wanted the team to be set up that way. I seem to remember that being mentioned regarding preseason, um, and then it made me think and think back to uh, one of the first Monday Night Footballs back ten years ago. Or so um, and Thierry Henry was on as a guest. And he was speaking about um, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona when he played under them. And he kind of said Pep's vision and idea was 
to get the ball into the final third and then in positional play at that time. And then from there, them three of Messi, Henri, Pedro, David Villa, Etu, one of that combination of the, because that isn't, obviously that's a ridiculous lineup as well. But it was then up to them from there how they can score. It was his job to get them to a position and then they work from there. To, and I think since then, like, Guardiola's obviously moved that it's my job to get you to a certain position further up the pitch. So I just wonder if, like, Farkas kind of said, I've got these four, five elite attackers in my squad. They should be good enough to, I get them to a position and then they can sort that out themselves. And then that kind of also means an opposition can't prepare for what they're going to do because they're, everything's a little bit more off the cuff and it's just about how they work together. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think like we've seen, we've, we've discussed already, like the rest defence works really well. It's worked really well in the league. We don't concede much XG, um, even though it looks like we concede a lot of transition attacks, we don't ever concede a shot, which is the key thing, right? Um, so my where I'm trying to go with this is I, I wonder if it's he wants pre-season with his attackers next year to then build on that. So, and I know there's talks of like, oh, someone give Farka and show Farka what patterns of play is. Well, the reason why patterns of play worked when we had Bielsa was because we didn't have the best team in the league, like you just said. <laughs> so it made us the best team in the league. I think Farka's point is, I'm going to make it so that we can set up these teams so that we can get you guys in good positions and you guys should be you guys should be good enough to just win the game and attack as long as I've got a set up to not concede enough or not concede too many chances. I think that's kind of maybe the the route that he's gone down, which is why I'd be willing to give him some time next year as well and see if things change in a way. Um, but that that's that's been my take. Um, no, I'm, I'm I enjoyed that take, especially how how you somehow managed to bring it into Gladioli and Thierry Henry. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was good. But yeah, the, absolutely. Um, when people have been talking about patterns of play, um, I've often been banging the drum that I would like to see some creative freedom being given to attackers and how everything doesn't need to be a scripted pattern of play to work. Um, he also ha- had to use those patterns of play because he was working with players who weren't elite for the, the division. Elite they weren't before he came along anyway. <laughs> he, did, he, did a good, he did a very good job of drilling the, the things into him because of his training methods. And there's no one else who has training methods like quite like Bielsa. And that's why he was able to get those players playing beyond what they were. Whereas this team, which Farker has got, if he was trying to do too many things with them to get these individual scripted patterns, then it could made them overthink things and it couldn't work worse. <laughs> I think a lot of people kind of, if I go back to talking about Pep Guardiola, like a lot of people have said Grealish became limited when he first went there, which is kind of what you're probably saying that you want to do. Somerville, if you're putting him in patterns of play, you, you're probably limiting his creative freedom in, in that sense. And it's taken Grealish a bit, a bit of a while to get, to get the best, to get that balance, I guess. Um, but yeah, talking of, Wingers, having just mentioned Grealish and Somerville, clearly they are like for like. Um, there's been a lot of calls for Farker to switch things up, at least on the other wing, and play Nyonto over James. Why do you think he's persisting with James over Willie? Well, I'd like to say that it's because mainly due to the out-of-possession play. Um, that is one thing. But then there's also the fact that they both attack in very different ways. Um, you've got Nyonto, who loves to get the ball to feet, and that is what what he's all about. He will drop deep and he'll he will power forward with the ball, combine quickly with the players around him. 
and that's his game. Whereas James, that isn't his game. Uh, but he's much. He can do the odd a bit of link of play here and there with with Gray on that side. But it's mainly best when you use him as an outlet and try to get ball beyond for, for him to use his pace to get on the on the end of. And I think that is the reason why James is being played over Nonto because we need more threat people who are willing to make runs beyond the decline. Where when we've got players like Perot and Ruter who both like to drop deeper naturally. It's part of their game to drop deeper and like Ruter starting to, as the season's been going on, he's been playing more as a centre-forward and making more runs as the season goes on and getting more used to it. But it's, it's still not the most natural thing for him and he's, he's always going to have those inclinations to drop deeper. And so we need players who will be making runs beyond. And at the moment, it's mainly James and Sunville who are making those runs. The odd one from either Ruter or Perot, but the main targets for most of our attacks have been going through James or Somerville. Now, if you just look twice in the, in this game, we've had James one-on-one with the goalkeeper. And first time, he'd obviously, he did, definitely did take a heavy touch with that, like you mentioned earlier, and just decided to go down and see if he'd get lucky. Lots of attackers do it. I'm not going to blame him for that. And then Beckham won, he just thought that he finished wrong. I think he was a more difficult finish than what he looked, you know, honestly. I think yeah, it was bouncing. A, I think anything yeah. that's bouncing when you're running like that, can be can be difficult. I think again, he kind of got he kind of caught up to it at the side of it when it bounced up in probably exactly. not what he expected. Yeah, exactly. I think if the if the, there wasn't the deflection off the defender and the ball had just rolled through, and if the if the ball was running along the ground and James still scuffed it wide, then I'd probably be putting a bit more blame on him. But because the ball was bouncing and he was moving it to, to get to it, I think he can be let off a little bit, and it's got quite as big of a chance as what it should have been in other circumstances. But at the same time, if that was Perot who was shooting, I would be wanting him to bury it. <laughs> because Yeah, I think I think that chance gets buried by basically every other forward that we would have had on the pitch at that time, where we obviously had six on at on at that time and one of those six was Joe Gelhart for the first time in quite a while. Um his first in September. So why do you think Farker chose to go with Joffy over Jaden Anthony or Matteo Joseph, who he had gone with well, he definitely got me Matteo Joseph against Sunderland. Yeah, there was an odd one. Is that I was very much expecting Jaden Anthony to come on at that point. And then I saw Gellhart getting changed. I was like, oh, that's different. And I was quite happy that he was going for something a bit different rather than the same sub each time to try to change things up. And he, he moved things around differently as well as to when, when the player came on. Usually what it's been when he makes his big changes to try to go ahead or to forward something... He puts Nanto on the right wing. He moves James to kind of like a left wing back position, and the overall shape is like a free. You could say three one six, something ridiculous like that. Um, but I think the, the shape when the players came on was a bit different this time. Um, you had Nanto who was pretty much playing like a left back. In all honesty, at least when he first when he first came on, he was definitely doing his coming deep, like you were saying, and then linking up. Um, looking like he was going to come deep and then drive as well, maybe sometimes into the middle. Um, yeah, exactly. So that so there was he was on the left rather than the right, and that enabled him to link up more naturally with Somerville. And obviously, they've got a good relationship off the pitch, and it makes sense for them for that partnership to be made more of. And they also left James on the pitch to try to stretch them and get runs in beyond, which continued to happen. But the question that we're talking about here was about Joffe, not those players. So I'll get back to the question. I've sort of got sidetracked. Um, but 
felt Doffy struggled to get into this game when he came on. Um, he, he, he took him a long time to have a, have a touch. Um, I think he was trying to make runs beyond, and then when those runs weren't coming off, he, he started dropping a bit deeper to try to get involved more. And I, th- I think that could be the reason why he wanted to bring on Joffy over Anthony, because he wanted someone who would be able to do what Perot was doing, which was sometimes drop deep to link up and sometimes get further forward. But he found it difficult to get, inv- get into the game and take up positions where he could be found. And so it wasn't really that long for him to do much, to be fair. It came on what? It came 80, on 85. 50. Yeah. Yeah, 85, yeah. So he had 12 minutes in the end with the seven minutes at a time. Um, he did. He was the player who did play the pass through for James, um, and I think that I think it was those moments, and potentially also because Joffy's quite good at if he's crowded, getting out of a crowd of a crowded space, um, and the way that Coventry were kind of set up, I think that that's that's potentially why he went with Joffy as well. I think Anthony um, is a bit better with space in front of him or space inside that he can utilize, uh, whereas Joffy can. Turn in tight corners, and we saw it against Wolves last season when he won the penalty and that sort of thing. Um, and so I just thought that might have been why he went with Joffy this time, me personally. Uh, and Joseph, I think, is more of like an out and out nine, isn't he? So I think when you've already got Bamford and Rutter on, and you're choosing not to take one of them too off, well, you wouldn't take Bamford off, you just brought him on. But um, yeah, but I do think we saw, uh, I can't remember if it was this game or Sunderland now, thinking about it. I can't remember if I've just seen it in the rewatch, but. Was this the one where we kind of saw everyone kind of getting each other's way at one point as well when they were trying to play pass and it kind of hit Bamford and then went somewhere and then it came somewhere else? Yeah, and I think that's just kind of that issue with bringing on loads of players, loads of forward players as well. Like it's a good idea because there are loads of forward players and if, like I was alluding to before regarding Farker, if he's just kind of said, look, you guys know where you need to be when the ball goes there. You guys know where you need to be when the ball goes there for our defence to get back go do what you want to do all six of you up front, that's going to happen, more likely than not. You know? um, but yeah, so moving on, we had a question from James Mantella about the Coventry goal. So he asked, should Melier have got out to take the cross that they scored from? He's a great shot stopper, but he's a bit iffy with the ball in the air. So do you agree with James, or does the fault for the goal lie elsewhere? I've watched the goal over quite a lot of times, probably about ten times. Slowing parts, looking at different players. I do it quite often just to see who was looking where and what they were trying to do. And I watched Melier a lot. And when Thomas was making his run into the box, he noticed that and he did a little hand signal to, I think it was Strauk. So he, so Strauk was made aware that Thomas was coming into the box. And so he will have assumed that Strauk will have been able to deal with that threat. Then when the ball came in, it was a little bit deeper than what I think maybe they were expecting. Maybe they were expecting it to be more central for Thomas to attack. But he ended up going that a little bit deeper and Thomas was, was backing into it. And obviously Strauk also to make that same movement, but he couldn't quite get there in time. And Melier thought that it was going to be dealt with, but it just wasn't. I think with hindsight, you can look at it and say, yeah, Melier maybe could have come out to, to claim that. Or at very least, he could have got, got a fist onto it. I think he was within an area where he could have got to it. But that cross was very good. Oh, but we'll say that. It was in a perfect area. And the way it swung as well. The way it swung and the way it dipped, yeah. kind of, it made, yeah. it made it a bit difficult, I think. Um, it wasn't quite low enough to come out in front of the players to get it. 
you'd have to have gone over them and there's three players there and that's always dangerous and there was a player coming in behind Archie as well um so that 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 was always going to be tough positioning wise on on that then where he was you know if he goes anymore to the right it's just you know you'd expect Thomas to try and go back towards goal and then he's saying well he's too far that way and it was a good header um 0.25 from a header is a, a huge header chance um yeah, it is and he, he he made it better as well. I'm pretty certain the post shot actually was quite largely inflated compared to where it was. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't lie any blame with um with Melier on that one really. And like we said, I think it obviously starts with Ampadu losing possession from what I can tell from the co- co- commentary. Um, I nearly said from what I can tell from the commentary there. That's why that li- there was that little stir. Um, like we said, Spence doesn't quite be as alert as he should be. Because like I said, I think that he's just thinking it's this is nothing. Um and then Strauch and Gray probably can do better. Um but again, like maybe if they if neither of them two make the header and neither does Thomas, then you've got the guy at the back post who's coming in and you're kinda of questioning should Gray have stepped off or something like that. So it's it's one of those there was too many variables for that sort of thing, but I think probably Gray should have probably been the player to get in between, um from where he was and he just he just wasn't quite maybe strong enough in that sense or was taken by surprise of the fact that there was a player coming through there um so finally uh well two two questions to finish on uh, who do you think struggled in this match so when i first watched the game i had a bit, bit of a feeling that possibly ampadu would spun badly in the first half i'm not sure why i had that feeling because on the rewatch i thought it was very very good so part can be totally ignored i think with the goal spence could definitely have done a lot better with that I think his hesitation was with that goal. Earlier in the game, he'd gone to pressure Sakamoto and Sakamoto quite quickly turned him. So I'm thinking maybe he was wanting to allow him a little bit of space to see what Sakamoto was going to do. I think he maybe expected him to carry the ball forward towards him, but then he, he, then he quickly crossed it in. So, so, so I think he probably could have done better with that, but largely he did, did well in this game, I felt, Spence. Um, he... Did a lot of nice, nice things going forward. Could link up with both Somerville and Routaire and just generally make a nuisance for him in stopping interceptions, using his pace well to get on, on in the balls, which Coventry was, were trying to put down, down the channel. And he was do, doing a good job of getting those balls before his opponent because of how fast he is. But largely, I couldn't pick another player who really struggles in this game. I think most players did reasonably well. Uh, the few times that Gray maybe mis- misplaced the ball and let his his inexperience show, but even even he had moments where he was good. So I, I couldn't really pick one who struggled throughout the whole game. Just little moments here and there where they could have done better. Really, I'm not sure about you. Um, I think Perot just maybe struggled to get in as much as he he wanted to, or we would have liked him to. Um, and I think that's mainly due to how Coventry set up. Like we said, they they kind of uh, packed the box, and he didn't ever have much space when he did get on the ball. Um, and we know that. He's, he's good at getting the ball out of his feet, but he was never never had enough space to even put the ball out of his feet. Sort of thing was was kind of the case when he, if he got it out of his feet, there was there was nothing on. Um, he couldn't just whack it because there was three players in front of him. Sort of thing. Um, I think he did in like the seventh minute. He did that and it just hit a player and dribbled through to the keeper. Um, so yeah, that's. I only think he was. I think he was the only one that really struggled from the game, and I think that probably also then affects everyone else's judgment on Leeds' performance because when it gets to him and it struggles, it doesn't get much further than the edge of the box or just outside the edge of the box. And that can kind of create that judgment on how well or how poor we played um, because you're only getting to a certain area. 
But like I said, I think that was particularly due to uh, how Coventry set up. And on the polar opposite of that, who do we felt did well in this match? There were a few players who I felt did really well in this. Um, Camera, actually, who was really good out of possession at winning the ball back and topping them from attacking quickly, especially in, in the second half. There were a few moments where if he would have been just a little bit later, Coventry would have been away. Um, but he managed to get the ball back and get the ball forward quickly. And he was just generally all over the place. Just really a high amount of work rate. He had 15 progressive passes, some massive amount of progressive passes. And it's generally had a very good game. Uh, I, I love Camera. Uh, he's just reminded me so much of Forshaw. So a more robust Forshaw. For one that doesn't look like he's going to break. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just really like, really like the guy. Um, as well as that, I think Ampadu had his best performance for a while. Um, he maybe hasn't been at 100% over the past couple of games, but I think in this game he was a lot better and he was doing a lot of good things. He also had a lot of progressive passes, 12 progressive passes. So between Amaro and Ampadu, that's 27 progressive passes that he had between them, which is a massive amount. You know, stats like me, that's <laughs> a lot of progression. Um, but yeah, but, so, but, yeah, so both the midfield pair were really good. Um, and I'm not sure. I think I'll leave some, some more for you. I'm sorry, you've got some players who you want to talk about. Really, apart from the goal, I thought Strauch did did well uh, on the ball. He he played some good passes. He was, like I said, he did that really. He did a good job on Sims. Sims didn't really have a look in at all. And I think Rodon. I think both of them as a pair did well, um, especially with like we said the kind of recovery runs um, to stop attacks and the forcing players forcing commentary wide. Um, which obviously didn't work for the goal, but again, you know, you, it's rare you're going to get a ten out of ten perfect game. Um, but I felt like so there was one moment where there was a pass that looked like it could have gone through, and Rodan played did like a fantastic interception of just sticking his leg out, and then he was able to carry out and play a pass that got us moving forward. Yeah, um, I thought Ro- I thought Rodan did very well at making those decisions of when to go forward with it and and pass or pass instead. Um, so yeah, they they were my two picks. So uh, obviously you can say return Somerville, but I think that's it can get it just gets repetitive then, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll say those two did did have a good game. Um, I won't, won't, won't go on about it too much. I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing me rave on about dodgy water. Yeah, if I were to just say that he probably struggled a bit in the first half of the first half. If we were to go back to this, like he that's where he had those wayward touches and he tried to maybe do a bit too much, like you alluded to at the start of the pod. Um, well, there was one moment around the 30, 38th minute, if you remember we've seen it from the rewatch, where he just totally did two of yes. their players, so yeah. one after another, on the left flank. That was just beautiful. And he, he whipped across him, but he just wasn't able to quite get to someone. Yeah, and he, so, did, so he, that did that he did the one uh, he did a Maradona turn, didn't he, on the, in, the middle, in the middle of the goal area on like, the defender out of nowhere and then hit it wide when he should have gone across goal. Um, but yeah, like I said, he's... He's much better than this league, let's put it that way. Um, yeah, I think think that's everything for the review. So uh, I'll just give you all a quick reminder for our Patreon, and that page is patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. Keep an eye out for the Twitter spaces or X spaces, whatever they're called now, that we'll do pre-game on Saturdays when we play it Switch. Are we on the 23rd? Yeah. Yes, it is. On Saturday. Yeah, we're yeah. not sure who, who, who's going to be doing it. I'm available because I'm always available. I don't have a social life, um, but I'm not sure who else is going to be available. Potentially Adam. Um, so we'll sit, we'll try our best to get one for you. Look out for that at around about 2.15. 
Um, and yeah, and then obviously the Christmas period is coming up, and so it's going to be very busy for Leeds and for us as podders. And as much as we want to, we won't be in a position to review the Ipswich game by itself before the Preston game on Boxing Day. So we'd so we're going to try and do that together. I think as a double review. Um, yeah, so. A few guys would like a break. Martin's not one of them, as he just alluded to. He'll always be free. He'll record on Christmas Day if we really wanted him to, I think. Um, so we've literally had to talk him out of doing solo pods and putting on voices. <laughs> and yeah, uh, but previews will still be released and primarily the opposition fan interview with a little on top from Martin. Not Martin doing an opposition fan voice, I hope, anyway. And I think you'll all be hoping that too. Um but yeah, I think we're looking at trying to maybe get some articles out as well, out with our Patreon listeners over. Um, maybe some videos or some form of articles, potentially transfer stuff, potentially some player kind of um, performance reviews of the season so far of a player. I think you've got one on Archie Gray, maybe, is it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the one that's coming up. So yeah, if you want that, as we said, where, where was it again, Martin? I know I've just said it, but I've, do you want to remind us? Yep, it's patreon.com forward slash ASAW patron. That's everything for tonight. And like I said, we'll be back with a preview for the big fixture on Saturday against Ipswich Town. And Farkham may just say it's another game, but we know how important that one is. And that's why we're getting you a preview. And like I said, let's hope that we'll be rotating our podders and let's hope Farker is rotating his squad. So I'll just say thank you, Martin. Thank you too, Tom. And I'll thank you, dear listeners. I'm not going to be on the preview, so I'm going to say Merry Christmas to you all because it won't be until after Christmas that you'll hear my voice and it might not be until after New Year, but I'll say Happy New Year to you all as well and have a great week and a good Christmas. Goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.